0: Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the
1: Lord has spoken. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit.
2: Lord God, as we um, gather together on the second Sunday of Advent and we meet this strange figure, John the Baptist, um, I pray that his words, the one he points to, um, would be real to us, clear to us. And we would look to where he points, that we would look on the one you, Lord Jesus, who he shines a light on. And I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. In this season of Advent, as we move towards uh, the new calendar year, we've been uh, collecting stories and testimonies of things that God has been doing. In our midst, um, really focused on this wreath and the two others behind me, where each of these ribbons represents a thanksgiving or an answered prayer. Um, so we're doing some interviews just so that you can get a sense of the things that God is doing. So I'd like to invite up uh, Adam and Brooke Fish to share with us today. And I know that this is a hard thing to do, because uh, we asked a lot of you to do it, and you said no. So, you should be, yeah, so you are the brave ones, and at the end of this I'll pray for you. So, um, how long have you guys been part of St. Bart's? Ten months. Is that? We got the, hello? Hello. Say it again. How we've, long have you been here? We've been here ten months. Okay, great. And in the time that you've been here, um, how how has the Lord blessed you um, as being being here? Um,
3: I guess I'm talking. Um, well, uh, I'll talk too. Okay. So, uh, Dave just prayed that uh, tired and tested. Some of you are coming in tired and tested. And I would say ten months ago, we came in tired and tested. Um, so, St. Bart's has been a place of rest and recovery for us.
0: Yeah, it's been really cool. Um, we've been a part of, we've been at a lot of churches um, over the course of many years, but this body and um, particularly Dave's leadership and his friendship has been a total game changer for us. Um, yeah, it's been incredible. Thank you.
2: Um, and. There doesn't have to be an answer but what practical difference if any has it made for you to be here um, as part of this worshiping body
3: um i liked what brian said uh, last week he talked about three streams um, where the sacraments are pretty foreign to us um, and i think having a place of mystery um, uh, colossians talks about stewards of the mysteries of god And sometimes when you're in a place where you're tired and tested, you don't need answers. You need some mystery to know that God loves you. Um, And it's been refreshing.
0: Yeah, it's been really cool to be a part of this body. Like every Sunday I come here and I don't, it could be the building, but I don't think it's the building. I think it's his people that are coming because when we worship and when we're in this place, I feel the veil is really thin, mm-hmm. and there's just something about what this body carries that is palpable and refreshing and powerful and just so beautiful. I cry every time, and that's not something that I experienced at any yeah. other church.
2: Wow. Well, thank you all so much. Yeah. Uh, can I pray for you all? Yeah. Yes. Would you all extend a hand of blessing as we uh, pray for them, pray for? Them. Are you called the fishes, or is it fish?
0: Yes, it's fishes, because fishes. we're not really fish. Right,
2: okay. <laughs> the fishes. Lord, we thank you. Um, we thank you for this testimony, and um, just articulating for all the people here who are, have been tired and tested, Lord, um, we, we lift them up to you. We lift Brooke and Adam up to you, and we pray that you would bless them, that you would comfort them, Lord, and we thank you uh, for their courage to share in uh, vulnerability, what's going on uh, with them, and bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all so much. So it is the second Sunday of Advent, um, and Advent is a se- season of waiting, and uh, as the great theologian Tom Petty once said, the waiting is the hardest part. Um, That's my favorite Advent song, by the way. The Advent, the waiting by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Um, It is hard to wait. I asked my kids that the one day this week we lit the Advent wreath. So just to be honest, right? Seven days we could have. I think we did it twice. But the question I asked them was, is it easy or hard to wait? And kids will be honest and they'll tell you it is hard to wait. And here we are, a season set aside for waiting What does it mean to wait? And what are we waiting for? And we meet this strange and wild figure um, who calls us to a place of wilderness in order to wait. John the Baptist. Uh, This week, the Nobel Prize in Literature was announced. um, And it went to John Fosse. And one of my favorite novelists, uh, Christopher Beha, wrote just a reflection on him in the New York Times. And I'm gonna read you some words that you might be surprised to find in the New York Times. Because he's a Catholic, uh, Christopher Beha, and Fosse is writing from a Catholic perspective. And Beha says this, I sometimes think that the modern world's true cultural divide is not between believers and unbelievers, but between those who think life is a puzzle that is capable of being solved and those who believe it's a mystery that ought to be approached by way of silence and humility. I am a problem solver by disposition, but in my heart I am strongly on the side of the Mysterians, which I've never read as a word, Mysterians. That last sentence, I think, encapsulates what it is to be an advent, and really what it is to live in the modern world, that we are problem solvers by disposition, but that we can choose in our hearts to be strongly on the side of the Mysterians. And if that resonates with you, then Advent is the season for you. That's what it's all about. And if that resonates with you, then John the Baptist is your guy. He's the character for you. John comes, he appears almost out of nowhere. 400 years of silence, no prophet has spoken in the name of the Lord, and here he is speaking in the name of the Lord. And what he brings really is not solutions. He brings really a kind of moral clarity, but he brings moral clarity by pointing to a mystery, the mystery of the Word made flesh. The mystery revealed in the verse 1 of Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here in Mark 1, John the Baptist is standing at a boundary line, He's standing at the boundary line between the old and the new. He's standing at the boundary between life and death. He's standing at the boundary between wilderness and promise. That's where the Jordan is. He takes Israel back to the beginning. And his baptism represents that transition from the old to the new, from one realm to another, out of death and into life. And that baptism enacts his message to cross over from death or from life into death repentance is necessary Israel has to acknowledge that she has not been what God had asked her to be if you were a convert to Judaism you would take these ritual baths that's what some people think John is doing he's saying you all need to be reconverted You all need to start again. You need to wash yourselves and to enter into what God is bringing. The place where he stands, that place of the in-between at the Jordan River, is situated between the old and the new, between the wilderness and the promise. And that place is what Advent is. That is the place of waiting, where we're asking God to come, where we say, come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, The song of the season is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. When you really think about that song, it's a very strange song. Because we sing rejoice, rejoice, but it sounds like a funeral dirge in a minor key. That tension is precisely what Advent is. That contradiction is the contradiction of Advent. It names something of the human condition that I call mournful longing. If the seeming contradiction of mournful longing makes a kind of intuitive sense to you, then John the Baptist is your man. Because he's a herald. He bears the message of God and the declaration of good news. He brings good news, but good news that first hurts. To embrace the goodness of the good news, we have to acknowledge the thing that hurts. We have to acknowledge the things in us that need to be repented of. And why does that message hurt? Because as a herald of the king, John is bringing the light of God. I mentioned earlier moral clarity. John enacts the way his message by the way that he lives. His dress, his diet, the place where he lives. He's traveling lightly. He's not attached to things. And the way that he lives his life shines with such brightness that that radiance can almost blind us. And maybe you've been around those people who live with a sense of purpose and moral clarity and their, light is like a, their life is like a light. And sometimes we find that looking at such light that our eyes are much more used to darkness. And that's exactly what the Gospel of John says. The indictment of humankind, and that includes you and it includes me, is that we prefer darkness to light. Why is it that we prefer darkness to light? because it can be so costly to face what the light reveals. I have a vacuum at home. I love it so much. It's a Dyson. I know, it's very bougie. But it has an attachment on it. When you put this attachment on the Dyson, it shines this green light. And it is horrible what it reveals. You can't unsee what you see when the green light shines on the floor. There's so much dust. There's just so much. And this, this vacuum cleaner counts in parts per million of how much dust you get up, so it's like gamified. Anyway, <laughs> here's what's disturbing about the dust. It was always there, right? The light didn't show us something that wasn't there. It revealed it. It made something visible in an unavoidable way. That's what John, the message, his message is. It shines a light on us in an unavoidable way where we have to decide. When that light shines and it shows what's really there, what are we gonna do? Am I gonna deal with it or am I gonna ignore it? John is that kind of light. The call to repentance is the call to deal with those things that the light has revealed. It's not condemnation, it's not shame, it's moral clarity. The moral clarity of that light. And in this way, John is a kind of spotlight whose life and message shine in a concentrated beam to illuminate two things. First, his message shines a light on ourselves and those things that we need to turn from. In the Old Testament, the image of repentance is always to turn. You're going this way, now go this way. It's a physical change of direction. You're going after something that will hurt you or is not the best, so you turn around and you go the other way. The New Testament word is more about changing your way of thinking, literally getting above your way of thinking and viewing it from the outside and saying, is this how I really want to live? And we can only do that by the Spirit. We can only do that with the light of God. John brings the word of God, so he brings the light of God, and he shines a light so that we can ask that question. What has the light revealed, and am I willing to deal with it? Am I willing to give it to God? Say, yeah, it's dirty. I need you to clean it up. The other thing that he shines a spotlight on is Jesus. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. There is one coming after me who is stronger than me, he says it different ways in all four of the Gospels. But there's a unity of the message, which is I'm not the one, he is. You're not looking for me, you're looking for him. That picture of baptism, he draws that contrast. I'm, I'm taking you back to the beginning, to this baptism of washing, but he's gonna baptize you with the Spirit. He's bringing something full. He's bringing the more. He's bringing the fire of God. So, as the herald of the king, John the Baptist brings the light of God, and paradoxically, he also brings the comfort of God. Of the many words you might associate with John the Baptist, comfort is probably not one of them, especially on the level of, uh, you know, clothing. Who wants to wear camel hair? Doesn't sound very comfortable to me. There's nothing comfortable about his lifestyle. There's nothing particularly comforting about his message. And yet, he stands in the same line of prophets as Isaiah, to whom God said, Declare to my people comfort. Comfort. So, while his message may not be one of comfort, it is one that makes comfort possible. Because the mountains must be brought low, the valleys must be raised up, in order that the way might be made straight for the comforter to come. We don't just need the comfort in some abstract sense we need the comforter that's jesus again he's shining the light on jesus and just as it's hard to accept sometimes the what's really going on our heart when the light shines i think sometimes it's so hard to accept comfort Um, have you ever been around a child who refuses to be comforted have you ever been that child or adult I had, we, had this with, we had this yesterday, <laughs> child who refused to be comforted. Maybe you remember moments when you were so angry, so sad, so isolated that you refused to be comforted even though someone was standing in front of you with arms open. It's hard to accept that we need that comfort, and yet we do. We need the comforter. The reason this is so difficult is because the comfort of God doesn't initially feel like comfort. When Isaiah says all flesh is grass, (laughs) that's not very comforting. But it's true. When John the Baptist says bear fruit in keeping with repentance, that's not very comforting. And yet it holds out the possibility that we can live fruitful lives. That is a comfort. That life has meaning, that it has purpose. And what John says is surrender to God Repent and allow God to comfort you. Allow Jesus to be the comforter that he is. And I think that this is just as much a part of repentance as the things that we might associate with a repentance. Yes, we need to have sorrow over our sin. Yes, we need to confess our sin. All of that is true. I'm not taking anything away from that. But part of our repentance is saying, I've refused to be comforted because I was unwilling to admit that I needed it. And I find myself in that place many times, and I'm sure that you do too. So John's the herald of the king. He brings the light of God. He brings the comfort of God. And he's able to do this because he brings the word of God. The word of God is powerful. It can level mountains. It can raise up valleys. John brings the word of God, so he's not just shining a light on what troubles us or condemning us. He's speaking the word of God that can actually change us. The word can enact what it says. That's the power of God's word. As we go on in Isaiah 40, uh, further on from what we read this morning, Isaiah 40, verse 6, it says, A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. This poetic vision calls our attention to the fundamental contrast between ourselves and God. We're grass, he's glorious. There's a gap. That needs to be covered. And that's exactly what John the Baptist is declaring. God has come to stand in the midst of the gap between God's glory and the fact that we are flesh. That's what the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is. The Word of the Lord is the theme for this week Advent to the Prayer. It's an all timer, might be number one with a bullet best all-time collects, and this is one that Thomas Cramner wrote in the midst of the English Reformation, and I'd love for you to look at it on page three. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort, of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you've given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That prayer is a revolution in a paragraph. And we're so far removed from it, we can't even, we, we, we don't think of it that way. The fact that this is in English, the fact that Cramner wrote this at a time when the, the Bible was first being translated in English and people could hear the word of the Lord in their own tongue. And he was part of that revolution, giving us the Book of Common Prayer in English, and also the scriptures in English, so that you could go to an Advent to service and hear comfort, comfort, and not Latin, that you didn't know. He understood the gift and the power of the word of God. And he encapsulates all of that in this beautiful paragraph that commends to us to be people who don't just hear the word, but people who read it, who mark it, who learn it, and digest it. That it might be nourishment to us, that it might be comfort to us. We inherit the revolution that he was part of, and yet it is not a revolution to us because we can carry uh, any translation of any language in our pockets with us. We don't, Consider it necessarily a gift that we can have it or that we can hear it or that we can understand it in our language. Cramner understood that. He understood the power of the Word of God. John the Baptist certainly understands that because he is the culmination of the Old Testament prophets. He's the last one because the new is coming. He marks the end of that age. He is the culmination of the Old Testament prophets, the one who actually gets to see. He's the one who actually gets to see the one he heralds. That's amazing. Isaiah said it, but he didn't get to see it. Jeremiah said it, but he didn't get to see it. John the Baptist got to see it. Not just see it, but as a living, breathing reality, this word made flesh stood before him, and John the Baptist Baptized him. He held the Word made flesh and baptized him. He is, as Jesus says, the greatest man born of woman because of that. And yet, those of the kingdom are greater than him. That's what Jesus says. That we are greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because the first advent has happened. Because the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Because he purchased our salvation on the cross. Because he rose from the dead, we are in a better position than John the Baptist. Remember last week when we heard from the prophet Isaiah and the prophet, in mournful longing, <laughs> said, oh, that you would split the heavens and come down? That's precisely what happens at Jesus' baptism. That's the language that Mark uses to describe what happens when Jesus' baptism is that the Heavens were torn, and that the voice of God came down and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So we have the tremendous gift of standing on this side of the first advent, and yet we wait because he's going to come again. And we don't know when and we don't know how, we just know that. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We know that his return will not be like his first coming, that he will come with the clouds and glory. And so in that way, we are still like John the Baptist because we stand at that boundary line between the old and the new, waiting, longing, asking, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And if we can bear that in our hearts in a way that we can hold the mournful longing (laughs) then we actually have good news for the world on two fronts. The first is that we can name our longing, that we are people who have desire, that is yet unfulfilled. Even though we have the spirit, even though we have all the good gifts, even though we get to meet him at the table, this is just a foretaste. It's not the fullness of it, it's coming, it's coming. And I want it to come. I know you do too. And that's what we're called to pray in the midst of our own mournful longing, is come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, kindle in us the fire of your love. So, to go back to the beginning, if you find yourself like Christopher Beha as one who, in your head, is one who wants to solve the problem, but in your heart you have an appetite for mystery, I would say listen to your heart. I have to tell myself this all the time. This is what's telling me what's true. That the mystery is real and that I can know it. Not comprehend it, not explain everything about it, but I can be in relationship with the word made flesh who made his dwelling among us. Let us pray. Lord God, um, I just acknowledge myself and for all of us our own longing that the world is not as it should be even though you did come and you did change everything that you showed us that death is not the final word you brought forgiveness of sins you showed us the father lord jesus and yet we wait we wait for the fullness of what you promise so we claim that promise in hope And I would just say, pray with me this. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. All together now. Come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus. And as we continue in our worship, as we meet you at your table, Lord, we pray that you would nourish us. Because we do find ourselves in a wilderness. And we pray. Pray that John's words would be a comfort for us. We pray that we could confess our sins, knowing that you want to comfort us. Comfort us, Lord Jesus, even now. And we ask this in your holy name. Amen.